When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. Today, the European Super League crumbles in front of our eyes, but what destruction does it leave and what needs to be done to repair the damage? Changes are made to the Champions League as well, but are they any better? Elsewhere in football, 29-year-old Ryan Mason's on the verge of winning his first trophy in its first week as Spurs interim boss, and a West Ham's Champions League hopes face a huge test in a London derby with Chelsea. All of that and more on today's episode of The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wozencroft to help me through it all. Tom Clark, James Restall, and Gregor Robertson. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Not too bad, Hugh. Thank you. Mm. Good, thanks, Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's excited, I'm sure, to discuss the Super League. The idea is now dead. So many fans celebrating this, but it's only dead maybe in name only. We're going to discuss the past couple of days, but also what happens next. Now, just to bring you up to speed, all six Premier League sides have now withdrawn from the European Super League including all but one of the 12 teams across the continent as well. Some still believe there's a chance of it being a success, but it seems to be dead on arrival. After the swell of outrage from fans, managers, players and pundits saw the football world unite against the plan. And there were groveling apologies from some of the the biggest names in football as well. Let's start with Joel Glazer, co-chairman at Manchester United. He said, in seeking to create a more stable foundation for the game, we failed to show enough respect for its deep-rooted traditions, promotion, relegation, the pyramid, and for that, we are sorry. This is the world's greatest football club. We apologise unreservedly for the unrest caused during these past few days. Ferran Soriano is Manchester City's chief executive. He emailed fans directly. He said, we failed to remind ourselves of the unbreakable link between the passion of our fans and the right to have opportunity to earn success. He went on to say, we made a mistake and we sincerely apologise to our fans for the disappointment, frustration and anguish caused by the past 72 hours. Liverpool's principal owner John W. Henry as well said, I hope you'll understand that even when we make mistakes, we're trying to work in your club's best interests. In this endeavour, I've let you down. Again, I'm sorry and I alone am responsible for the unnecessary negativity brought forward over the past couple of days. So everyone backtracking very, very quickly. This plan, which, which seemed like it was going somewhere, immediately dead, as I say, on arrival. Tom, what did you make of what has already been a stunning week in this news? I mean, I was very, very disappointed. Ed Woodward spoiled a lovely evening that I was having watching Lincoln and having a chippy tea. 
So that was that was very disheartening. Um, it's just just settling down, and then the news broke, and I, I couldn't quite believe it. No, at, at that point, I was still slightly convinced that we were all um, part of a big, a bigger, broader game. This was all a bit of politicking and uh, gamesmanship. The, with the Woodward incident and with him uh, resigning, does make me feel that this was the ultimate power grab, terribly played out. Um, and that there's been some staggering stupidity on the part of these people who thought they could get away with what they were trying to do. Um, it's absolutely extraordinary. And uh, I, I'm st- I still have that lingering doubt, still have that lingering worry that uh, it's it's all been a big game and uh, we've all been duped. But I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope this was the big play and it really didn't work and now we can have a bigger and broader conversation about the state of football. That feeling, I think, is something in the pit of every football fan's stomach right now, that there is more to come and or, or, and maybe there was more to this as well than, than met the eye, something hidden somewhere about the future of football. But actually, I think that that's the thing that these 12 clubs will play on in all of their future negotiations. Because if we're worried about it, people that work inside UEFA and the Premier League are going to be very, very worried about it. The other 14 clubs in the Premier League are going to be feeling, you know, bigger, bigger feelings of anxiety than even we are and most football fans are. And I think that's something that down the line, these big six clubs can use to their advantage. I share those feelings, those kind of that little seed of doubt, but I'm pretty convinced that this is just blown up in their faces extraordinarily. I actually don't think we need to be, we need to have that fear quite as much as you've made out there, Hugh. I think that the power balance has shifted quite dramatically, both in the Premier League and in Europe. And the important thing now is to kind of enshrine that in terms of, you know, already the, the, the clubs have been removed from, or the executives of these clubs have been removed from Premier League subcommittees and, you know, the, the steering groups essentially for, in the Premier League and they need to be stripped of any influence at UEFA. And we can even look to start backtracking some of the, well, primarily the, the kind of historic performance related uh, spots that they, they fought for in the, in the latest Champions League reforms. So, you know, the, I think power balance has shifted and what we have to do is absolutely grasp that, grasp hold of that and make sure it remains that way. Because they've seen, just they've, they've, they've seen, you know, they can threaten to break away again, but what's their other, what, what other bargaining chip do they have? We've seen how, how abhorrent that appears to football fans and the rest of fo- the football family, essentially, and how, how much everyone has been energised and willing to fight to make sure that doesn't happen. They've seen that now. So what's the, what, what can their next play be? Well, they don't have to break away to get what they want. And that's the thing. What they what they can do is in future negotiations over TV rights get a much bigger slice. In fact, you know the Champions League oh. already is is, a, is well thirty percent. I think of the Champions League prize money is going to be handed out on on your past achievements in the competition. You know there are already things that are being given to these bigger clubs in European football to make sure that they earn more money. What they'll want is more of those types of you know systemic structures that, that work in their favour. But the reason they were granted them was because there was always a threat that they would break away and that threat is now gone. So there's no they don't have the they don't have the bargaining chip. I don't think that threat has gone because I truly believe that listen, if I worked at one of these clubs right now and I was deadly serious about the Super League or at least getting as much money as possible, I'd say right, the Super League hasn't worked. The idea of us breaking away is something that football fans won't countenance. But what if we just step away from the Champions League for a year, twelve of us? 
what if we just decline our places? We haven't broken away. We haven't started a new tournament. We haven't drawn up the, the bridge in terms of drawn up the ladder in terms of um, competitive nature of the sport. All we've said is we don't like the way things are done in the Champions League. So you can put four other teams from the Premier League in. We're not interested next year. What happens to the Champions League? Structures broken. Rights are worthless. And suddenly UEFA have to beg them to come back into the tournament. And once again, they, they get their way because, like I said before, these clubs have the power in many ways they will feel like they are football. In other ways, we feel like the pyramid is football. We feel like the competitive nature of football and the 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 the, the myriad of different types of football club out there. That's football to us. To them, it's a business and they are the big name. And, it, it, you know, it's like Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. Can't get a contract signed for two years because everyone wants a bigger slice of the pie. You know, that is the reality of the big business of sport. You know, we want to see the best boxers in the ring if you want to put put it in that context. But they never fight until the money's right. So, you know, and that that's the reality. If you think that's the case, then the, the conversation now has to veer on to how we we make sure that the power is not in their hands. I saw in Paul Joyce's report as well, you see the spirit of Shankly, a Liverpool supporters group saying, we need to now work together to see how revenues can be more fairly distributed. This is like... the. <laughs> This is like coming from supporters of the biggest club in the country. You know, seeing that is is heartening for me. That's the kind of thing that the, the football I follow and report on a lot. That's been the conversations for years and years and years. And there's been calls for a, an independent, you know, a, a family review for so long. Clubs have gone under, clubs have died and it's not happened. And within 24 hours, this happened and everything's back on the table. So it needs to be grasped. Will Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer as the leader of the, the two biggest parties in British politics and their big words and strong statements earlier on in this week, will they be carried through with actions, do you think? I hate to be a cynic, but um, it felt to me um, on Sunday night, seeing Boris's tweet and then his, his further comments on it, um, Boris is a populist and I hate to be cynical, but some advisors probably said to him, Here's something that people are getting very, very angry about. And here's something that will be a very big win for you if you get behind it and you oppose it. And I mean, his intervention has been incredibly important, I think, in in, in ultimately killing it. Because when you've got when you when you can't when you when you can't find a single person agreeing with the proposals from fans to coaches to players, all the way up to the top of government. I think then, you know, I think I, I, then then clearly the Super League kind of had nowhere really to go other than to sort of embarrassingly backtrack. There's not much detail that's come out yet about what this fan-led review will look into and how it will work. And I think until we get more detail about how this how this plans to work and 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 also what kind of what what is binding, like what can what could government actually do and how far is government actually going to go? Are they going to are they going to go as far as actually nationalise the big six and restore the clubs to a 50 plus one German model. I'd like to see how, how you know, particularly in a time of pandemic, the government are going to wrest three billion pound worth clubs off private entities and into the hands of the fans. I think there's been a lot of worthy ideas that have come out of this so far and a lot of, a lot of things that sound great, but getting from the good idea to the solution is going to be very, very tricky. Football is clearly more important to people 
than sort of everyday life, which I, I found to be absolutely incredible. You know, we, we love this dream, don't we? That these smaller clubs might one day get to go to the Bernabeu and play Real Madrid. You know, it was, it was a dreamlike state and it was another day that you, you almost see football fans. And, you know, you said it already. Some football fans have to sit back and say, oh, I'm a cynic. But actually, it's like, are you, are you just a realist? This is business. And we sold football a long time ago. You yeah, know, the but you Premier can't give League up. Itself. You can't give the up. Pre- you, you, you can't stop now. The ball, we've gone too far down the road, Gregor. I think we've just realised that. And we've, we've, we've reached a line. We've seen where the line in the sand has, has to be drawn. And everyone has come together and agreed on that from every level of football and every stakeholder except six very rich capitalists. <laughs> so we found the end of the road. Yes, we've gone a lot. We've come a long way, and football sold its soul many years ago. But we've at least we've all agreed upon the end. We can't go any further than this, and now it's time to roll back a little bit, and we need to figure out how. And I agree with James. Like, uh, although what a time to be alive that the Conservative government are saying, you know, we might worry <laughs> the German model is on the table. And actually, I know. this isn't this isn't that. This isn't that ludicrous. 12 months ago, nearly 12 months ago, Damien Collins, Conservative MP, he was uh, chair of the Culture, Digital Culture Committee, I can't remember what his full name is. Um, he laid out proposals for a kind of financial distress fund for lower league clubs. This is, you know, when the pandemic was 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 in full full throw. And basically, the government would, would loan clubs money and then supporters, trusts, could pay it back and essentially buy a stake in the club. So again, <laughs> Conservative MP was essentially saying, we will lend, we'll finance clubs, we'll give them state aid and allow supporters a chance to buy a stake in the club. I don't see why a club has to be distressed for that to happen. Tom, there are so many ideas that have come forth in terms of football reforms from here. Of course, we mentioned 50 plus one already. Certain people saying a far stricter version of FFP, salary caps at a far lower percentage of of turnover. I've seen it all the way through to kickoff times, ticket prices for away fans. Is this the, the moment really to overhaul football top to bottom? It is, and it would be incredibly nice to do that kind of overarching, pull it all apart and start again. I think what would what we have to probably be more realistic about is some kind of smaller concessions, but little things that little wins. Let's let's aim for little wins here. And if it is a case of, as you say, more consistent, cheaper, fairer, twenties plenty away ticket prices. If it is a a big discussion around salary, because that there's there are two things here, isn't there? With Greg has made a point of we've gone too far in terms of this kind of ownership and the TV money. But there's, I have, I've felt that for a long time with transfers, let's say. You know, we'd talk around, oh, you're going to pay $200 million for Kylian Mbappe. How much more money are you going to be spending on players? How, at what point? You know, you remember when there were discussions around, oh, is, is Roy Keane the first £50 million player and all this kind of stuff? And how far do you go with that? So the, the, that would be nice as well, I think, if we could have a broader discussion about the money, the salary, the transfers... And maybe thinking, okay, well, we've gone too far in that as well. Just interestingly, in the spirit of, you know, there's lots of people falling out here, so we don't need to fall out on this podcast. Let's all be united in a desire for a greater greater good. I would just like to say that, you, you know, Hugh and Gregor, you're both right. I think, like Gregor, that this is a time for, you know, some concessions and some change. But Hugh, you are right. I had a dig through the Times archive when this story came out. Um, and Saturday, July the 9th, 
1988. Headline, Super League Breakaway Threat. The threat of breakaway 12 clubs Super League loomed ominously last night. Gordon Taylor, Secretary of the Professional Football Association, drove through the night to Plymouth in reply to a request for urgent discussions with the Football League Management Committee on the consequences, including player redundancies, if rebel clubs carry out their intention to sign an exclusive contract with ITV. And that was around... Teams including Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa, Sheffield Wednesday, West Ham, and then all the big big guys as well, signing separate TV deals. So, Hugh, you are right. This has been around for a long time. Uh, there were then follow-up comment pieces that referenced lines that you said exactly, a bigger slice of the TV pie. So there is there is, there is this, this sense that this has been around for a long time and we shouldn't have delusions of... This is a, this is an outrage. We should we should couch all our conversations in the reality that this has been this has been part of football for a very long time. But I think if we could, you know they, they they would be my small things to pick salary caps, uh, ticket prices, uh, you know try try and try and find a nice middle ground and pick pick some small wins. Premium for getting in the Champions League has become so big, right? That it kind of the, the clubs that get into that position in a snapshot in time want to kind of enshrine their position there. They want to have that forever. You, you talk, What you were talking there, Tom, about the 1998 list of teams, you know, Nottingham Forest, teams that had kind of been in the Champions League or been in the European Cup as was and um, were still in the top division, but kind of weren't at that same level before. And you look at Arsenal now, you know, they're ninth in the table. It's, they're always going to be, I, I, I think, I think unless there is, unless there are structures to prevent this, this is always, we're always going to see this. We're always going to see the clubs that kind of get to the clubs that are the, the, you know, in inverted commas, big six. It's been a very, very fun debate we've had this week in the office about whether we should be calling them the big six and sort of cap B, cap S, you know, whether they should be in inverted commas because they're only the big six at this moment in time. And, uh, and there will be another big six further down the line. And the problem is, if we'd agreed to this, if the Super League had, had been allowed to go through, they would have been enshrined forever as they are the six English clubs. And, and the, the one thing I would like to add, I think the thing for me, more than the money, more than the, more than the, more than the kind of the, the brazen nature and the haphazard way in which they did this, it's the pure nature of just removing relegation and saying we'll have five teams that could you know very be very lucky to join us you're taking away a sense of competition and a sense of fairness about this and that to me is why uh, you touched on it a bit earlier gregor but the next step the little step that has to happen now is to kill off this absolutely ludicrous idea that there's historic merit qualifying for the Champions league i'm actually all for more teams being in the champions league i don't mind that i don't mind more opportunities being given to but but if those positions go to um, champions from other countries. You know, I, I, I would rather we have that than have a system where Arsenal and Tottenham get to qualify every year because they happen to be the best teams in England between, or in the top six in England between 2014 and 2019. Sorry, Tom, you're not thinking big enough. It's about, it's about control. It's about power. That's it. Because football has repeatedly, and this is, there's been no more evidence than this week, as shown it's incapable of self-governance which is essentially what football is doing just now when when foot when, when football's allowed to govern itself it, it eats itself so the independent regulator is the most important thing and you know there's been calls there's been calls over the years for it but they're getting pretty loud now and that's the thing that would require require government legislation so it is important that the government at least showing willing they've shown willing in the past i know that but 
I don't, I'm not sure if people put enough pressure on them, they can get away with kind of stepping back this time. It needs independent regulation because otherwise power struggles will continue. There's, there's self-interest in every decision that's made. As we saw in the Project Big Picture, he tried to, six clubs tried to steal all the voting rights. At least that has kind of kept the Premier League in some way democratic. But people will always have self-interest at heart if they're allowed to make the decisions. You're absolutely right. And I've said, I've said on this podcast before that a, a fan involvement at board level would be a great thing for clubs, particularly, you know, at clubs in the Football League. But there is a point to be made about, and James touched on it there, about the kind of the Champions League placings and the allure of that, that pot. In effect, that, that we, we can't just forget about that because that does feed into the element of competition. And, you know, we're talking about, oh, the, the pulling up of the drawbridge is the thing we hated. But Part of the reason we love the competition of football and the idea that anyone can get there and that West Ham might get to the Champions League is because of the allure of that massive pot of prize money for getting there. And so the Premier League is a massive draw because of the money that goes into it. That then makes the Championship a pretty big draw because it is predicated on the idea that the goal is to reach the promised land. You know, we get to this stage of the season and the playoffs and the top of the Championship and Sky are pushing it and it's we get well excited about it and people who haven't followed Football League all season suddenly get well invested in the Championship because it's like the the $600 million game or whatever it is every single time it's a different figure each season. And so that then makes the Championship a big draw and then in turn, for clubs in League One and League Two, they're going, God, I'd love a crack at the Championship because that is then seen as the next step down because of that that draw. So the money is part of the draw for that comp- sense of competition and excitement. We can't, we can't forget that. And I'm not saying that the money is great. I'm saying the money is, you know, obscene in lots of ways. But it does add to the sense of competition, which we all love. But also at the root of any danger that clubs are faced in majority throughout the pyramid. So it's balanced. There needs to be a balance struck. Yeah, but, but part of that excitement and the, the allure of the championship, yeah. you know, you cover a lot of these teams. Barnsley, as you've written about this season, we're all excited about that because they're competing against the big teams with the idea that they might break through into the Premier League and kind of, you know, ruffle some feathers and things and... But that is predicated on the idea that there's a, there's something to fight for and compete for in a financial sense. You know, they're not, they might not win a trophy or anything. Maybe they'll win the playoff trophy. But do you know what I mean? That I'm just saying that we have to couch it in that sense. Yes, a fan, you know, fan involvement, government-led review. But we have to remember that the money is a big part of the the, the draw that makes it so exciting, the competition exciting. Uh, we're going to get to the current Champions League reforms that were announced a little bit earlier on this week. But when I hear... Boris Johnson and, and the idea of, of independent anything, I think he'll probably make John W. Henry and Joel Glazer co-chairs, won't he? And they'll be the ones that, that lead the independent oversight of football. So I, I'd be slightly worried at leaving them in charge of that as well. Uh, you are a cynic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a realist, like I said. Come on, it's I'm been a, a blooming invigorating few days. So surely there's all, everything's on the table just now. And yes, probably most of it will fall flat, but... The main thing is not allowing them to have the power over the direction of football. There's only one thing I want, and I've said it hundreds of times. If I buy a grade two listed building, I can't change it. I can't touch it. It's got cultural value. It's got some sort of heritage importance in a, in a community. And if a football club can't be defined in the same way, I don't know. I mean, the legislation should come fairly easily on stuff like that. Take Fulham for an example. Shard Khan can't knock down the Johnny Haynes stand, but he could move the team to Florida if he wanted to. That can't be right. That's all I'm saying. 
I'm delighted to say we're joined now by The Times Chief Football Writer, Henry Winter. Henry, how are you? I'm very good. It's been a good week. Good's one way of describing it. <laughs> it's been busy, most of us running around like headless chicken. I bet it's been a very good week for football because this is a battle, because the war isn't over, but this has been a battle that's been two, three years in the waiting. You know, we've, we've seen various rumblings on it before. Project Big Picture was was part of that. But I think anyone who's who's been around football clubs, certainly since 2005 when the, when the wretched Glazers came over, who's seen Joel Glazer in action at matches and not that he turns up to many matches, now, who knows the culture around Stan Kroenke at Arsenal, who knows John W. Henry, who actually has done a lot of good at Liverpool, but he's made some terrible mistakes. You knew what was coming down the road and it was about dollars. Where does football stand right now, European football stand right now for you, especially with the the owners of these big six clubs in inverted commas? Because for all of their apologies that have come over the, the past 24 hours, they must have known how this would have been received. I don't think they, well, they've certainly been taken aback by the, the ferocity and the unanimity of the, of the anchor. I mean, when you've got the future King of England, when you've got the, the Prime Minister, who's more a sort of whiff-waff and rugby fan and football fan, that even he's realised that the, the, the issues that are confronting football and how the pyramid must be saved. When you've got... Uh, high-profile employees of your own club, I say at Liverpool for John W. Henry, with Jordan Henderson immediately getting on his phone and WhatsApping all the other captains and saying, we've got to fight this. When the resistance is being led by by your own employees, um, or whether it's Gary Neville with his fantastic rant, very intelligent rant on Sky, Jamie Carragher, uh, managers as well. I mean, it's been a, it's been a fantastic resistance movement from football. I mean, everyone knew at some point that the barricades were going to have to be uh, manned against the venture capitalists from over the pond. Um, but I have to say, I didn't expect everyone to. Be. I mean, what happened the other night at, um, at Ellen Road? I, I was there sort of outside talking to some, to some Liverpool fans who were there demonstrating and the Leeds fans were all saying, we're with you. This is not about Leeds versus Liverpool. This is not about the usual tribal one set of fans against the other. This is about English football taking on the enemy within, which is these American venture capitalists. And there were, there were people driving past and honking their horns and supporting the, the Liverpool fans. Chelsea fans the following night outside Stamford Bridge. And this is where social media has been really useful. Social media, obviously, we know about all the sort of poisons and the racism and the disgraceful things that go on there. But actually, social media has been really important in the resistance movement because Chelsea fans, one or two who are known to follow, I saw pretty early on that they were posting videos from outside Stamford Bridge. And I thought what was good was it wasn't just, you know, social distancing, I understand, but... You know, I could understand why everyone wanted to be there. And it wasn't simply Chelsea fans. It was supporters of other clubs who were standing shoulder to shoulder with Chelsea fans to fight the enemy within. So I think I think it has been a good week for English football. But I think everyone is very aware that the enemy hasn't gone away. The greed is still there and they'll be back. And this is the thing. I think there have been many rooms, many meetings that have happened over previous years. And it's now been shown brutally really how many lies have been told by very powerful people inside football to the fans but also to one another I don't see how they can trust one another going forward 
I don't see how they can move together as one in any sort of harmonious fashion without the underlying threat that one day some of them might try and break off. I mean, who runs football now? Is it the clubs? Is it UEFA, FIFA? You know, does the FA or the Premier League, do any of these bodies have the power that they thought they had? The most important people in football are the supporters. Because for, for John W. Henry, he owns a stadium and he owns a nice uh, strip of lawn in Merseyside, but it's nothing without the supporters. We've seen that during the pandemic. I mean, the players, fair, you know, huge credit to them. They've maintained their intensity in, in, in empty stadiums. But the whole irony of the plotters obviously wanting to do this when there were no fans in the stadium because they felt there wouldn't be any sort of vocal protest, but the, vo- the, the protest was, was all around social media and, and whatever. Um, but actually what it's highlighted is the importance of fans. And it's the importance also of fans to the foreign television audiences, which is what this whole thing comes down to. It's the overseas, the global market is what the John W. Henrys uh, are, are interested in. And actually, I mean, I, I wrote a book on England, which, which you know, as often with England, didn't do very well. But I did get to spend a day in a bar in Santa Monica and just talk to um, fans why they were watching the Premier League. And a lot of them said, well, you know, we want to see the skill. And But actually, the, all of them said it's the backdrop, it's the supporter, it's that tribal passion, it's the history, it's the, you know, it's the cop, it's the Holt end, it's the shed, it's all these sort of great sort of you know iconic parts of the english landscape let alone footballing landscape and th- and so that is where a lot of the money that, that television pours in is because of the fans because of this backdrop and the owners very naively and jp morgan's head should roll there in the boardroom um for for, for advising them so badly um that they, they ignored that they ignored the supporters and that's why it was fantastic seeing the supporters lead the resistance and saying we do care we do matter you know look how boring football is without us the television markets are just will be frustrated because they haven't got this amazingly vocal colorful backdrop of, of english supporters so i think it's just been a reminder of where you know as if we as if anyone needed reminding but a few american venture capitalists did the importance of supporters. I still think though there was a bit of sort of English football privilege that was exposed earlier on this week. I think football fans here have been happy to see four English teams in the Champions League. They've been happy for the Premier League to grow and grow and superstars to come here. We were all cheering Neymar and Mbappe, you know, PSG against Bayern Munich in the Champions League, two players that cost a combined 400 million. You know, we had absolutely no issue with our league being better and better each and every year and our teams making more money every time there was a a new TV deal and leaving behind so many leagues in Europe who don't have a representative in the Champions League, whose leagues have have descended into virtually nothingness. I mean, if it wasn't for Celtic and Rangers, what would Scottish football be at the moment? You know, their league seems to be diminishing and they're not the only ones in Europe. There are plenty. You know, Ajax for a period of time, and, and the Eredivisie didn't, didn't have an automatic place despite all the things that have happened in their country in world football. And there are other countries in UEFA as well who don't get a representative. We've got four. The new changes that have come in this week, we might have five, maybe six as well. And no one will complain if six English teams go into the Champions League. I, I don't believe that they will. Well, I think if you look at the English media, the, the English media have always complained about the expansion of the Champions League. From the moment it went from a, a you know the, the actual champion of the country was going, well, actually, this is slightly diluting this. Now, I think that I think, I think everyone can see. 
Well, I think the fans obviously want their, uh, their, their, their teams in there. But the, but the important thing about this, and you can't really compare it to what the Super League plotters were up to, is that there is an element of sporting jeopardy into how you get into it. Personally, I think it's gone too far in what UEFA are doing, and they probably got away with it a little bit this week because of the, the focus on the plotters. But I don't really have too much of a problem with the Champions League. I, I mean, I think there's too much football. I think the actual balance at the moment with the, with the group stage, but then I keep on reading... I listen to podcasts and I read pieces by people who don't go to games and they say, oh, the, the group stage is really boring. You try going to one of those group stage games. A lot of them are very good. So I think the actual, I think UEFA have gone too far with it. I think they should have stuck with the structure at the moment. I think they should have stood up to the, um, to the owners a bit, a bit more. Um, but at least we haven't got this Super League because it would have been, you know, the well, I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere and the grassroots clubs around here have taken an absolute hammering during the pandemic, you know, and they are, they are vital for the sort of the emotional and physical health uh, of the mental health of this country that these, these clubs survive. And if we're going to put all the money just in the elite at the top, then the grassroots are going to wither away. And they've taken a hit during the pandemic. They've taken a hit. I don't know if you're aware, but we've had some bad winters. And that's absolutely really affected the pitches and the facilities as well. So this is a, this is a huge issue. And I, I've been very proud of uh, football's reaction because it is so troubling. It's actually quite funny. If you go on social media now, it's, it's fans saying, well, our players did more than your players. Uh, to stand up to this. But at least for a brief sort of 72 hours, everyone was on the same side fighting the enemy. Henry, for, if we're looking at what happens next, there's obviously a big call for a, for a fan-led review. If you could see one thing, one kind of positive change come out of that, what would it be? Well, everyone goes on about 50 plus one, but they don't, they haven't looked at the genesis of that in Germany and they haven't actually looked at how difficult it would be to apply to private businesses over here, which are well established. If I go into, say, Sainsbury's and I'm wandering around Sainsbury's and I do all my regular shopping there and I say, well, how say I want to, I want an influence in, in what goes on in the, uh, in the boardroom of Sainsbury's and I want a, um, you know, I, I, I want a voice in all this. Um, I want to share. The government must give me a share of that. Well, I think those major financial institutions which have invested millions in, in Sainsbury's might take a different view. So I think, I think where we have to do and look, we're fortunate that the government's choice of Tracy Crouch by Oliver Dowden at DCMS, she, she's a former sports minister, Tottenham fan, still plays. She's just been recovering from cancer, very brave, brave, strong individual. But she goes in without an agenda she goes her only agenda is in leading this uh, governance review is that we've got to do the right thing we've got to do what's right for the pyramid and i think she'll come out with some good conclusions i, I think you can probably predict her conclusions now and the main one would be there should be more board representation for fans the issue there and i i, I agree with that the issue there is that project big picture and super league those weren't necessarily taking place as discussions in club boardrooms. That was the venture capitalists and whoever just sort of talking on their mobile phones and their advisors and bankers going together. But I, I do think it's, I think it's absolutely important, partly to, to save the clubs a lot of grief, an early warning system. Just don't go down this road because it is not going to work. This is going to be the backlash. 
news coming into us as we speak that a group of Manchester United fans got into the club's training ground at Carrington this morning. They're protesting, of course, against the Glazer family's ownership of the club. There's there's pictures of them, a dozen supporters, uh, with banners declaring Glazers out, 51% MUFC, and we decide when you play. And I believe the manager, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, Michael Carrick, former midfielder but currently a coach, the technical director, Darren Fletcher, and midfielder Nemanja Matic, came out to speak to the fans who have now left the training ground. But another example of fans trying to get the point across, Tom, to their club that they won't accept this. Yeah, and doing so in a very forceful manner, it seems. I mean, Henry's right in that this has been a good week for football fans. This story, developing as it is, just makes me hope that football fans make sure it stays a good story for football fans. And, you know, they don't take it too far with the way they deliver this message of I absolutely need them to keep keep pressing this issue um, about fans being involved and football being nothing without fans. Not You know, there's very few things in football that are more true than that. But, you know, breaking into the training ground having you know having to be talk to the manager it's, you know some of the banners that you can see they have we decide when you play there's a there's a tone there isn't there where they've got to be careful football fans don't often have a good rep in the general public in the general british public people who don't like football are very very dismissive of football fans aren't they let's be honest um, I'm sure we've all had conversations with friends or friends of friends about, oh, you like football? Oh, God, oh, what a horrible individual you must be. Um, so th- there's a there's a part of this that makes me slightly nervy about where this might be heading um, because Henry's absolutely right. Fans have had a great week. I just hope that they, it's, it stays like that and doesn't go any further um, into a slightly more menacing or dangerous route. I think they're going to seize on what they see as an opportunity to force out the Glazers. Maybe Liverpool fans will feel feel the same way about their owners. As understandable as that is, you've got to take a step back for a moment and think, who's going to pay £3 billion? Sorry, yes, about £3 billion. I think that's what they're valued at now, both of them, roughly. Who's not going to be in it to make money? That's why the whole conversation has to be about stepping back slightly from that maybe and taking the power away from them to try and continually make more money. Yes, the club can appreciate in value and that both of those clubs have dramatically in the, in the time that they've been owners. But whoever's going to come in next is going to also want to be making money unless the kind of system that football is structured on changes. And that, that's why the conversation has to be so much, so much broader. It doesn't matter who comes in next. It'll probably be someone from a Saudi prince or somebody. They've got their own motives, which are slightly different, as we've also seen. Manchester City and Chelsea were eager to step back quicker because their their whole purpose in buying those clubs was to was to kind of improve their image around the world. So you know that's why has, the conversation has to be much broader about about who is owning football clubs and the structures, basically. It's, it's a big one, though. <laughs> so it's already gone too far. I'm listening to what you're saying, and it sounds great, and it's impossible. Sorry to break the news to you. It, it's not possible. I think this last few days we've seen that there is an appetite enough, at least, to to fight for it. And I think that's I think that's more than we had at the beginning beginning of the week. It's not going to happen unless football fans can put three billion pounds on the table themselves. It isn't going to happen. There is always going to be someone, either whether it be a private company or a, an individual worth billions 
who's going Absolutely. to be in control of these football Absolutely, clubs. Absolutely, which is why we can't let them control the direction of travel of the game. They can, there's, always they can buy be, the there's always going to be a territory, a state, or an authority that says to those clubs, if you move your club here, you can do what you want with it. But we've just seen that that's failed. We've seen it fail, really, because they backed away from it. If they had a stronger proposition and they chose not to, it wouldn't have failed. But either either lose financially, because if you're a capitalist like the Glazers and, and like John Henry, your, your image becomes toxic. Sponsors will leave you. So that's one way the fans will defeat them. And if you're a nation state or an oligarch, then the whole purpose of you buying the football club is ruined because there's people protesting outside the stadium. So the fans, Henry's right, the fans have shown that they have power here. So now we need to show, we need to make sure that they, they can no longer shape the, the future of football. You're telling me that a Manchester United who chooses to move to New York buys Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar and Mbappe isn't going to have sponsors and isn't going to have viewers and isn't going to have people buy tickets. It isn't realistic. Their business well, proposition. What we've seen in the last three days would suggest otherwise. What makes Real Madrid v Chelsea in the Champions League next week really special is the fact that Real Madrid haven't played Chelsea in a competitive match since 1998. I was speaking to a Chelsea fan recently and he was saying to me how, you know, throughout all the years that Chelsea have been in the Champions League while he's been growing up, they've played all the top teams, maybe once, twice, three times, sometimes loads of times, like Barcelona, they've always been said, I've never watched Chelsea v Real Madrid. And that is what makes this game so special. I can't wait to see my team up against the team in my lifetime, we've never, well, not in my lifetime, but in my supporting time, we've never played against. Before that, the last time they played each other was I think the Cup Winners' Cup final in 1971. Aside from meaningless friendlies that they've probably, they probably have played each other in the nonsense International Champions Cup or whatever in pre-season. My point is, these franchise owners, or these owners who want to turn these clubs into franchises and Super Leagues, think that by making something that is appealing, they'll take the best team and the other best team and they will play each other five, six, seven, eight times a season. No, what makes these games competitive and special is when they are rare. Rarity is, is what makes things special. It's why we love things like the FA Cup third round. It's why we love things like Leicester getting to an FA Cup final. These are the things, these are the things that make football truly special. And I think that's what these, that's what the owners didn't quite get this week. That's what they, that's what, that's the point they're completely missing. And I think, yeah, okay, there are, there are, there are, uh, there are fans who, um, you're absolutely right, um, Hugh, to say there are, there are fans who will like, you know, Neymar Stan accounts and they'll follow Neymar on, on Instagram and that'd be how they um, consume football, right? But for me anyway, and I might just be being a hopeless romantic here, but the fact is, right, surely if we had every week it was Chelsea v Real Madrid or every week that it will be Manchester United versus PSG, we'll, we'll switch off it in the same way that these owners think we're all switching off, you know, Burnley v Watford. You see, you've just underlined there the English football fan privilege that I was talking about. Thank you so much for being <laughs> Exhibit A, reveling in the fact that the team that finished fourth in England last season is in the semi-final of the Champions League playing Real Madrid. Fantastic news for English football fans. But if I'm a fan of football in Scotland, when do my champions get to play Real Madrid? If I'm a fan of football in in Serbia or if I'm a fan of football in Cyprus, when do my clubs get the chance to play Real Madrid? The answer is never. 
We get it every 30 years and they will never get the opportunity because their clubs have to go past teams like Celtic if they're in an even lower league than that to try and just reach the competition. They've never got a better opportunity of that happening. The power balance has shifted. They can bring all these things back up, put them all back on the table. That's, there's a better well, yeah, chance of that happening. Okay. A better chance of Celtic winning the league. Oh, sorry. Rangers win the league. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> if you're a Rangers or Celtic fan. Uh, again, going straight into the Champions League instead of having to go through two or three qualifying rounds. That there's a better chance today than there was on the end of last week of that happening in the future. One of the big things that's been put back on the table, as you say, Gregor, is we've got an expanded... The thing that was ghastly about this expanded Champions League format was that it was just to give more places to the existing countries. Now, genuinely, they are, they are a, big, a, big, uh, a big negotiating stage that's put back on the table now is more places to leagues that don't have permanent places. And that's that, that's got to be a good thing, isn't it? Well, let's get into those Champions League reforms very quickly. They were voted through this week. They clearly went under the radar, given all the other big news. 36 teams qualifying for an expanded first phase. All the clubs play 10 teams once at a varying quality. All results go into a big league table. The top eight teams qualify directly for the knockout phase. The next 16 teams in that table go into a playoff for the remaining eight knockout spots. Two of the extra four places in the competition will be awarded on past performance. And that means, for example, that this year, Chelsea and Liverpool would make it into next season's Champions League, regardless of whether they had qualified through this season's Premier League and Cup performances. So, like I say, it turns out we are happy to hand football over to the biggest clubs, Tom. Oh, Hugh. Oh, no, the Hugh. biggest clubs Come were on. happy to bargain to get that. <laughs> and now they don't have the power to. That's what's just been lost, you. <laughs> so we're in a better position now. I think that's you need to surely accept 2024. that. 2024. What I've just read to you is happening in 2024. No, it's and not. because I of the threat it of the Super League. Uh, uh, why? In report... He was saying that all of these things were st- it was still left open and quite ambiguous, in fact, in the wording of his exit. It was saying some of these things, the fine, the fine kind of detail of how you know the entry of clubs into the Champions League can still be changed between now and 2024. And now there's even more chance of that happening. I would be amazed, in fact, if those things are pushed through. And that would be a good thing. Obviously, I personally would like to see the Champions League in its current form. More games, we've discussed that plenty. I can understand why these clubs want to play each other more. At least there is some jeopardy, but I would much prefer to see the Champions League as this. I don't think that's likely because there was widespread support, not just from the big six clubs here or the, the Super League plotters. There was widespread support from everyone who's regular in the Champions League because they're going to get more games and make more money. So that will continue. But the two the, the places for, you know, based on your history, that'll be gone. Tracy Crouch, if you're listening, Gregor Robertson is available to join your fighting panel <laughs> against uh, the reforms of football. We can we can lend him to you between Tuesdays and Wednesdays as long as he's available for the game podcast. That's fine. There is no argument that is complete in football without a Scottish accent as well. That, that needs to re- <laughs> remain. Absolutely. The one, the one thing I would just quick, very quickly like to say, and I was discussing this with friends who, as, as um, you mentioned, Hugh, this has captured everyone's imagination and what everyone wants to have a view on it. And this is perhaps easy for me to say as a Lincoln fan and with Jay on as a Leighton Orient fan but if there are fans out there like you Hugh perhaps as a Manchester United fan who's clearly very disenchanted with the game at the top level if there are fans out there who are feeling that way you can have another element of power in where you then go and distribute your cash and go and find your local team when when hopefully the world gets better and we can go to games again go and watch go and watch your local team 
don't sit in at the weekend and wait for your team to appear on Sky Sports on Super Sunday and here we go. Go and watch your local team and buy a pie and maybe buy a programme and maybe that that's where fans can have a great regain another little, little element of power because there's some absolutely great football going on through the pyramid and it's I can it's 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 fantastic. You won't have any of these kind of you know pint pots that fill from the bottom. None of this you know fancy burgers. <laughs> really cool, like to be just, fair. I like I like the look of them. Oh, like don't, get, them don't get me started on the don't get me started on the Tottenham Hotspur enthusiasm for the fancy pints. But but that that is that is a way. Just very quickly, it's very. It's pat, I'd be accused of not being naive, but that is a simple way in which we could re, rebalance uh, the power through the pyramid. Go and support your local team. Did anyone see? Uh, what Gregor's old club Grimsby got up to this week it was fantastic. Yes, they, they did a, a exchange, getting fans to exchange their, their their top their big six shirts for uh, for a Grimsby shirt. It's fantastic, and you know it's a really sad time for Grimsby. They're you know rock bottom of the football league in in real plight, going to go back out of the football league again. But the, but but you know what they've done there is and and actually a lot of clubs in. Um, particularly in leagues one and two during this whole period of pandemic have done some really creative things to try and engage fans and try and find ways of, 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 of ensuring they've got a, a solid fan base and can make money through this period. And then, and then can, can um, sort of thrive the, or, or be at least in a, a, a stable position, the other side of this. So, um, but it did, it did put a smile on my face and Tom's absolutely right. Um, people should go and watch their local teams. Absolutely. We'll see where it all goes from here. Reforms on the horizon. Remember if you're enjoying the podcast, all the details that you've had already, that the deep, conversation and argument as well give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from we're we're usually a lot nicer to one another by the way um also if you're interested in some of our award-winning journalism you can subscribe to the times and the sunday times right now on all of your devices just go online search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to get started and remember if you sign up today you'll get one month free It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Game with Hugh Wisencroft alongside Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark and James Restall. It's already been 
a meaty conversation, but let's look forward, not just to what might happen in the future of football, but the future of the EFL Cup. we got the final coming up this weekend between Manchester City and Spurs. Spurs could win their first silverware since 2012. Ryan Mason will be in charge. It will be his second game as interim boss of Spurs at the age of just 29 years old. He's made history already. He led them to a 2-1 win over Southampton, becoming the youngest manager in Premier League history. Lots of people asking why him and why not the likes of Ledley King, who's a coach at the club, Chris Powell, who's supporting him right now as well. But I was pretty impressed with what I saw, at least in the second half of their victory over Southampton. They seemed a lot happier. That first half, though, was a very strange performance. You thought the Spurs players might react a little bit more strongly after their manager had been sacked. They got a bit of a wake-up call at halftime, whether that was from Harry Kane coming down from the stands or whether that was from Ryan Mason remains to be seen, but it was a much better second-half performance with positives to take into the game against City at the weekend. Um, Firstly, uh, James, I'll start with you. Are you surprised that Tottenham have made this decision to get rid of Jose Mourinho and put a 29-year-old in charge for a run-in that could see them reach the Champions League if it goes well? I thought the whole week of football, Hugh, was being controlled by Anton Deck with a little earpiece in saying, do you know what, right now, (laughs) sack, sack Jose Mourinho. Because I couldn't believe it on Monday when that happened. Um, I know you've you discussed it on Monday, but I, I was I, genuinely I, I I still I still don't think I've quite processed it. And I think reeling from what happened over the last few days, watching yesterday with sort of Ryan Mason standing there, it was quite interesting. Um, Tom Roddy, who was at the game for us yesterday, was um, was saying it was quite an interesting experience watching. Ralph Hasenhutl shouting and screaming on the touchline throughout, and Ryan Mason sort of standing there, almost kind of taking stock of the whole thing. Um, uh, I, I, I think it's, I, 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 it's, it's a really, I, I'd have given him the cup final. I know Spurs fans probably wouldn't have want me to say that necessarily because I don't think a lot of Spurs fans were too happy with Mourinho by the end. But just, I, I know this sounds, this sounds, this is probably sounds awfully pathetic. But he got them there, didn't he? Surely he just at least deserves the cup final. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think Tottenham are going to struggle to beat Manchester City either way. Um, but I just, I, I call me kind of even, even if, even if it had all gone wrong at Tottenham and everyone had fallen out with the manager and players were unhappy. I still think you go with the guy who's won twenty odd major trophies and has done countless finals. I might be completely wrong, but that was that's that's my feeling on it anyway. There was a, a rumour that, that Daniel Levy had done his sums and worked out that if Jose Mourinho had won them a trophy, sort of the, the bonus that he would have earned would have been more than the payout. So, um, so they maybe pulled the plug a little bit <laughs> earlier because of that. Just rumours, of course, no facts there. But... Um, but, it, but it's a huge task for Ryan Mason now to try and overcome Pep Guardiola in his second match as a, as a manager and an unexpected manager at that. Um, I wonder if Tottenham have any chance, Gregor, against Manchester City. They'll be missing Harry Kane Spurs. Kevin De Bruyne is unlikely to play. Um, John Stones is suspended for Manchester City. Do you give Tottenham any hope? I mean, they have a chance, yeah. But I, I, I look at this as well and think it's pretty bizarre that 29-year-old who's been coaching for less than three years in Spurs Academy is the manager of Tottenham Hotspur. I look around and you think, you know, Chris Powell, I think he was the head of academy coaching. He's at least more experienced. Wayne Burnett is the under-23s manager. He's more experienced. He's at least been a manager in the Football League and he's been there longer. Uh, I would, 
it looks to me, <laughs> just from kind of seeing managers depart in the past, that they've looked at and gone, no thanks, because of exactly that. There's a final coming up in their second game. And who wants to be the guy who takes charge of Tottenham Hotspur when they get absolutely gubbed by Manchester City in a, in a cup final? So personally, <laughs> personally, you know, fair play to Ryan Mason. He's coming out and... Uh, and saying I'm really proud of the boys and stuff, even though he's kind of younger than some of them and some of them were his teammates. I just think it's truly bizarre that he's the manager of Tottenham Hotspur. Full marks to Gregor for the use of gubbed on the uh, game podcast. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, for, for all his damning rhetoric around the future of the game, that's his highlight of this podcast for me. Uh, I mean, to, to play to play the role of cynic before Hugh can, it's a good story, isn't it? It's a nice story for Ryan Mason, and it is it is it is lovely for him uh, with everything that happened in his career and having to retire. There has got to be an element of that in the decision from Tottenham, hasn't there? In a week where they are part of this uh, Super League story, to then give Ryan Mason the chance to lead Tottenham at the cup final. Lots of Tottenham fans, you can see them on Twitter. Oh, isn't it great? It's hard not to enjoy this story, and it is nice. Let's be honest, it is nice, but that has to be part of it, doesn't it? To play the cynical role. Sorry, Hugh, I beat you to it. Mate, I'm, 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 I'm fully behind Ryan Mason as a Manchester United fan. I'm all over Spurs this weekend. <laughs> Come on. Coys, mate. Uh, listen, <laughs> let's look ahead to a, a big game, a London derby in the Premier League this weekend. Good luck to both Manchester City and Spurs, by the way, before anyone writes in. It's a huge game for West Ham's chances of getting into the Champions League this weekend because it hasn't gone great. They were beaten by Newcastle last time out. They've got a raft of injuries, should be five players missing. Of course, the biggest name there, uh, Declan Rice, protected that defence and it hasn't done well without him. They've conceded, I think, 10 goals in the last uh, four games. Um, but also Craig Dawson suspended for this weekend as well at the heart of their defence. At the moment, the race for the Champions League is incredibly tight. Leicester, 56 from 31, their third. But then it's Chelsea, 55 points from 32 played. West Ham, a point behind, 55 from 32. And then Spurs, 53 from 33. And Liverpool, 53 from 32. So incredibly tight. Three points separating the five clubs. Um, I, I think West Ham can do it. But this is the point they're going to have to draw on all of their reserves. Chelsea are going to be an incredibly difficult prospect for them. They don't concede many. And at the moment, it's not that they score many. It's that it might be just one of those games that West Ham find it hard to generate chances. How do you think it will go, James? West Ham historically always raise their game against Chelsea anyway. They always seem in these in these London derbies, they always seem to get a bit of an extra edge. And West Ham have had some great results over Chelsea in recent seasons. But they've got something else that's going to raise their game even more. They've now got the entire non-Big Six football fandom behind them and roaring them <laughs> on to get them into the Champions League now. I mean, you know, I... I uh, historically, and, and West Ham fans will probably laugh at this, but historically, you know, as a Leighton Orient fan, I'm supposed to see West Ham as sort of the big local rivals, even though we haven't played them, I think, since the, about the 1980s. Um, uh, almost Ch Chelsea, Real Madrid proportions there. Uh, but we, but no, uh, I, West Ham, you know, come on, we're all West Ham fans this weekend, aren't we? You know, we're, we're saving football. I tend to agree, mate. I tend to agree. I'm a Londoner anyway, so, you know, West Ham and Spurs, fine. Tom, what do you think about this game this weekend? Do West Ham have a chance? I think it'll be very difficult, actually. I think Chelsea are showing, apart from that blip against West Brom, that as well as being incredibly solid, as we've talked about a lot, Tuchel is starting to get, even if it's only in fleeting little moments, but it, telling moments out of his star attackers, of which he has got so, so many. 
fine, there are still conversations around Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, but Hakim Ziyech is having moments of, that are becoming pivotal in games. And you can just see that even if West Ham and David Moyes put on a tactical masterclass to keep in the game, as you've talked about, Hugh, with some of the injuries that West Ham have got, you could see one of those stars coming off the bench for Chelsea to decide the game uh, late on. I, I think it'll be very tight. I, I, I will be cheering West Ham on. We've been big supporters of Moyes and West Ham this season on the podcast, I think, uh, and I've I've really enjoyed watching them play. I think it'll be incredibly, incredibly difficult. I can see Chelsea, and this is uh, in Gregor's more cynical moments on this podcast, he said about this top four race that we'll get to the end and we'll see the same old teams and I think it might this weekend might be the time when the, the dream starts to die, I'm afraid. It will be interesting to see, kind of, if there is any after effect of this kind of tumultuous week. It certainly was in like, you know, in the game seemed like a side issue in the midweek games of Liverpool at Leeds and Chelsea Brighton. It seemed kind of almost unimportant with all that news going around. It's just gonna be interesting to see whether that whether it's all forgotten about now and we're you know, all the focus returns to the football. I kind of agree. I think West Ham and the fact that they've they've let in two or three goals in each of the last four games is pretty ominous for them after being so solid defensively for so long. And Chelsea, Chelsea are undoubtedly on the up. As I said many times, they're kind of playing with quite a lot of control and very solid at the back. So much as I would love to see, not just because of what we've experienced in this past week, but just because West Ham have had such a great season. It's a great story. And David Moyes' kind of renaissance as well is a great story. I would love, much as I would love to see them win this game and get in the top four, probably it's going to be Chelsea and Liverpool. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, playing on the break against Chelsea. I mean, West Ham usually having the low 30 percentage in terms of possession. And um, if you give that to Chelsea, they will probably eat you alive. If they don't score loads of goals, which they don't, certainly the possession stakes will run you into the ground. The only thing that I'd say about that is uh, hopefully West Ham have more energy given they didn't play in midweek and Chelsea did. And obviously the emotional expenditure of the FA Cup semi-final as well for Chelsea against Manchester City might mean that West Ham are just a little bit fresher and that the minds are a little bit more clear. And maybe David Moyes has a plan for Thomas Tuchel. And if he does win the game, it could be absolutely massive for them going into the final few matches as well to see if they can hold on to a place in the top four. And after the, the week that we've had, let's be honest, everyone wants West Ham or Leicester or both to be in the Champions League next season and show those big six clubs exactly what football means to all of us. Um, Tom Clark, James Restall, Gregor Robertson, thank you for being with me for the past hour or so on the game podcast. Thank you all for listening. Remember to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times right now across all of your devices to get more of our award-winning journalism, including Gregor's latest fantastic article, which even Henry Winter complimented off by the way guys uh, you can read that right now on the times just go online search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to get started sign up today you'll get one month free we will see you on monday Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, 
edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.